Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you. And uh, we've got a bunch of people, I think, in the theater and watching online. Thank you so much for joining us. So glad you're here. It's a full room here. And uh, I think we'll probably have a couple people trickle in. So be kind and generous to each other for folks who need chairs. Uh, if we've never met, my name And um, did my mic just go out? Yeah. You, we're good. All right. Give it up for Oscar, everybody. He's been here early. Thanks, Oscar. Maybe Oscar didn't want you to know my name. <laughs> He's like, Jay's not a good dude. Don't know his name. My name's Jay. I got you. Um, my name's Jay, and I'm part of the team here. So glad you're here. If, uh, if you were here last week, like Mark said, we, we started sort of what we're calling like a family conversation. Now, maybe you're new to this church, or you're new to church in general, and you're like, I'm not family. I'm just a person trying to figure things out. Um, this is actually a wonderful time. Uh, last week and the next couple of weeks, you're going to get a real inside look on not just some of the stuff we hope to be able to do in the coming years, um, but you're going to really get a peek into who we are, or at least who we desire to be as a church family. So wherever you are on that spectrum, you're like, this is home, this is my family, obviously these next few weeks are for us, uh, but if you're new, this is a wonderful time, because I hope, I pray that you get a real glimpse of the sort of church family um, we aspire to be together and the way in which we want to join God in the work that we believe he is doing right here in our city and around the world. Um, let me begin today by showing you a, a picture, a photograph. This is a photograph of a tree uh, called the Methuselah tree. Now, the Methuselah tree is located actually right here in our beautiful state of California. It's in inland California, but the exact location of the Methuselah is unknown. It's actually not public. And the reason for this is because it is believed that the Methuselah is the, the oldest living thing on the planet. It is the oldest tree in the world. Based on seeding date data, they believe that the seeds of the Methuselah were first planted into the ground around 2800 BC. Let me just give you a little bit of perspective. That means that the Methuselah tree is 4, 000, more than 4,800 years old. This tree predates Abraham. It predates the pyramids of Egypt. This is the oldest living thing on the planet. Now, it is hard for us to conceptualize time this way. Like anytime you get into the BC sort of range, it's just like, what? Like, what are we talking about here? It's just like the numbers are too big. Um, the oldest living person today is a woman named Maria Brañas in Spain. She is 116 years old. 116. Now, think about what just happened in the room. We had exponentially more gasps for a 116-year-old woman than we did for a 4,800-year-old tree. But let's just do the math. Maria Brañas, who is 116, that is about 2% of the age of the Methuselah tree. You know what that means? That means Maria is basically a two-year-old toddler compared to this tree. I think sometimes, I've been thinking in recent weeks about how many people have 
leaned up against the Methuselah tree to find rest in the midst of weariness. There aren't many branches on the tree, uh, branches and leaves on the tree now, but I do wonder how many countless people sat beneath its shade to receive some shelter and reprieve from the heat of the beating sun over 4,800 years. There was a theologian named Elton Trueblood, and he once said that a man or a woman has made at least a start on discovering the meaning of human life when he or she plants shade trees under which he or she knows full well they will never sit. I don't know who planted those first seeds of the Methuselah. I don't even know if it was a who. It may just have been some sort of accidental thing, other trees, their branches fall, and then boom, here we are. I don't know how it happened, but there is no way 4,800 years ago anybody had any idea that here we would be almost 5,000 years later with this tree still standing. Elton Trueblood's words make me think of Jesus's idea that whoever loses their life for his sake will find it. This is why last week you and I began this journey together as a church, here to stay with God for the good of all. Then in the midst of the transience of Silicon Valley, all of the in and out the tradition of the gold rush, where still to this day people think of this place, the place you and I call home, as a place to get in, get rich, and get out. And I said this last Sunday, I'll say it again. Listen, if you're here and you're like, I'm not here for long, like I'm trying to get in, get what I need, and get out. I don't like it here. I understand. <laughs> There's no guilt or no shame, but you're here now. And the question we are asking as a church is what would it look like for us to take steps, steps we believe God is asking us to try to take and try to extend to our city and to our world, but particularly to our neighbors right here, visually, physically, and sacrificially, to express to them that we long to be a church in the midst of the transience, we long to be a church that is here to stay with God for the good of all. I think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10 when he says to his disciples, as you go, proclaim this message, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is Jesus' overriding message all throughout the gospel of Matthew. And then he says, he basically tells them, do what you've seen me do. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then he says these beautiful words, Freely you have received, freely give. That word freely is a Greek word that means exactly what it means in the English. Specifically, it means a free or unwarranted gift. And so Jesus' command to his followers, his first followers, is to go and to do the work that he has been doing and just as he had offered himself, his life, his teachings, his presence, his healing to his disciples and to the masses as a free gift, he instructs his disciples to go and to do the same. 
to give their lives away, to give their energy and their resources away as a free gift because they have received the free gift. I have um, pretty, just like, this is information you don't necessarily need to know, but it'll, be, it'll make sense why I'm sharing this with you. I have like fairly dry skin, so it's not uncommon that I need help scratching my back, like literal scratching of my back. And uh, Jenny and I just celebrated 15 years of marriage, and probably for the first, thank you, and probably for the first 13 years of those marriage, I lived in utter frustration, because on most evenings, I would say, hey, can you scratch my back? She'd be like, yeah, of course, sure, I love you, you're my husband, anything for you. So she starts scratching my back, and, and then I'm, you know, I'm just, this is the way I am, it's kind of a problem, but I'm so meticulous and precise, I'm like, no, 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 like, half a millimeter to the left, <laughs> down, 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 up, 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 up. You know, like I'm doing that whole thing, which is totally frustrating for her. She would also, she's serving in kids right now, but if she were here, she would admit this to you. She's a terrible back scratcher. She's just like, I really want her to commit, dig in there, just go for it, you know? But she's like very kind of like casual, nonchalant, half-hearted, like, you know? And so uh, a couple years ago, I, I don't know why I take so long to do these things. A couple of years ago, I went online and bought a back scratcher. And I have not asked my wife to scratch my back at all for a couple of years. I, is that a good mar marriage move or something? I don't know why everyone's applauding. Was that a good thing? Did I do a good <laughs> Stop asking your spouse to scratch your back. <laughs> We live in a you scratch my back, I scratch yours world, right? We live in a you scratch my back, I scratch yours sort of world. And so the idea of giving our lives away as a free gift makes really very little sense. Just like economically, relationally, otherwise, socially, whatever, it makes very little sense to give our lives away, to plant seeds, in the words of Elton Trueblood, to plant seeds for shade trees under whose shade we will never sit. That makes very little sense, but it is the way of Jesus. It's something that many of you do already. I've watched you do it. I hear it in your stories. In the way that you bring kindness to hostile and challenging work environments, the way you bring peace into the anxiety and the chaos of friends and family's lives, the way you practice gentleness and patience in your relationships and friendships and marriages and parenting, the way you serve our city and our church family. These are all ways, whether you know it or not, these are all ways of planting seeds for trees whose shade you may never enjoy. When we labor or innovate to create good in our world through our vocation, when we sacrifice to care or to provide for our children, or when we give and serve sacrificially to bring heaven to our little corner of earth, whether we know it or not, we are planting seeds, which means we are faithfully participating and playing our part in a multi-generational story. Like when you do this sort of work, 
You are, whether you know it or not, and I'm not just talking about here at our church through here to stay or whatever. I'm talking about in every sphere of your life, in the big and little ways, the ways that are really public, that people see and celebrate and admire, and in those small, tiny little ways that nobody else knows about. When you give your life away, whether you know it or not, you are planting seeds that will have an effect and an impact in ways that you and I cannot possibly imagine. Some of us know this. Some of us have experienced the incredible joy and meaning and purpose and satisfaction that comes from planting seeds, which is why we continue to give it all away. But many of us also know that this is slow relational work. Um, let, me, let me just show you what I mean with a few more thoughts on trees, just a few thoughts on trees. First, uh, many of you know this, trees actually bring healing to their surroundings. They say that forest air is the healthiest air on the planet. This is because trees filter toxins and fight off microscopic airborne threats like bacteria, viruses, parasites. M- many of you already know this. Trees are also relationally deep. The relationships between trees, actually, um, research has found in recent years, they're not, the relationships are not random. Um, there's actually evidence of altruism and loyalty and empathy amongst trees. I don't hear what I'm not saying. This is not like avatar tree, you know, like, that's not what I'm saying. But there is evidence that there is actually an emotive intertwinement that happens amongst trees in a forest. In fact, healthy trees in a forest, time and time again, researchers have found this, healthy trees in a forest will actually, beneath the ground, at the root level, they will rally around trees that are sick or struggling, and they will, through their roots, send extra nutrients Um, to the the trees that are struggling. In fact, one, um, actually a German forester, uh, Phil Wollobun, who wrote a fantastic book called The Hidden Life of Trees, if anyone's interested. He says this, the tree in a forest, the trees in a forest care for each other, sometimes um, even going so far as to nourish the stump of a felled tree for centuries after it was cut down by feeding it sugars and other nutrients and so keeping it alive. And he calls it a wood-wide web of soil fungi. But trees also do their work very slowly. The average tree's lifespan is about three to 400 years. It's like 5X a human lifespan. Electric impulses move through human beings, you and I. There is electricity running through us right now at the speed of about three football fields per second, right? Some of you watched the Niners game, and you like, last night you saw Christian McCaffrey, and you were like, so fast. Not electricity fast, right? Commentators are like, he's electric. Not really. That's inaccurate. He would have to run three football fields in one second. That's how fast electricity is moving through you and me right now. You know how fast electric impulses move through the roots of trees? About one-third of an inch per second. It takes three seconds for electricity to move through the roots of trees. It takes three seconds for it to go an inch. 
Phil Wollobin again. Trees are so incredibly slow. Their childhood and youth last 10 times as long as ours. Their complete lifespan is at least five times as long as ours. Active movements such as unfurling leaves or growing new shoots take weeks or even months. So, again, in summary, trees heal, trees are relationally deep, and trees grow slowly. To me, this is a beautiful picture of God's invitation, Jesus' invitation to freely give what we have freely received. Listen, the only way to plant seeds for shade trees under whose shade we will never sit is to do so freely. If we take on the mentality of a I scratch your back, you scratch mine sort of world, we will never plant seeds. Because seeds take too long to grow. It would be equivalent of scratching others' backs and then never having our backs scratched. If that's the paradigm through which we make the decision, will we give our lives away, then the reality is we will never give our lives away. Uh, like a year and a half ago, um, some of the guys in my life group we got together on a Saturday morning and we went and hiked John Muir Woods. I'll show you a photo. And I didn't think much of this photo when I first saw it. Um, I didn't take it. I think somebody else took the photo. And, uh, but now when I look at the photo, a year and a half or a year or whatever, um, further along in, in the relationship I have with uh, our life group, um, this photo is really meaningful to me especially after reading Phil Olibon's book, The Hidden Life of Trees. It's like, oh my goodness. What is actually happening with the trees in the background of this image is happening with those young or middle-aged men in the foreground and midground of this photo. There's a sort of, I mean, I was just with the guys this past Thursday for our group, and there's a sort of um, healing in relational depth that has grown very slowly over time. There's a sort of connectedness that I feel with these guys, a care I have for them and a care I feel from them to me, not because we're really spiritual, not because we're like so deeply more passionate, more deeply passionate about Jesus than everyone else in this room. We're not, we're just like ordinary guys trying to navigate um, all of the various tensions and struggles and challenges of, of life. I've realized, again, this photo is such a beautiful reminder to me, it's not because we're spiritual. It is because we show up. We just show up. Every two weeks, we get together in my office. Just week after week, we show up. We stay connected. We go out for meals, just slowly over time. And this is what life in God's kingdom looks like. We show up in God through our showing up brings healing into relationships and it happens slowly. This is really the big why of here to stay. The why behind why we are trying to give more money away these next two years than we've ever done. Why we are trying to raise money to build buildings 
It's not because we want more buildings. It's because we want to redeem a parking lot into a gathering space, a space that we could give away to our city, those far from God. Think about Psalm 145, where the psalmist writes that one generation commends your works to another. They, this one generation, tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. The psalmist is talking about one generation to another generation. Now, in the modern world, because you and I are so future-oriented, we read verses like this, and we think mostly about how we might impact future generations, and that matters a great deal, of course. That's why we're talking about planting seeds. But the psalmist here is writing from the perspective of the recipient of the previous generation's faithfulness. What does the psalmist say? They did this. They tell. They speak. They tell. Again. And then I, because they did that before me, I will meditate. I will proclaim. Last Sunday, when we started here to stay, I told you at the very beginning of the teaching, if you were here, I told you the story of Mildred Schultz, who's a woman no one in this room knows. Because in the early 50s, Mildred Schultz lived right here in West San Jose, and she felt like God was asking her and her family and some friends to begin a Jesus community on this side of town long before it looked the way it looks now, and she did. They rounded up as much money as they could, as many people as they could, and they bought a small storefront right across the street at Quito Road, and they launched First Baptist Church of Quito Park. That was in 1952. They sacrificed. They said yes to Jesus' invitation. They gave. They served. They poured in. They loved our city. They shared Jesus with people who did not know him all over West San Jose and beyond. They did that, and I, we, here, we are now, 70 years later. This is what I hope and pray our kids and their kids, whether you have biological kids or not, I just mean generations to come after us, this is what I hope and pray they will say about us in this moment now. That way back in the mid-2020s, there was a group of people I don't know. And you know the name Mildred Schultz sounds so old, right? It sounds like a 1950s name. Your name and my name, all the cool names today or whatever they may be, like that's what it's going to sound like 70 years from now, by the way. Someone's going to be like, there was a guy named Jay Kim. What an old name, huh? right? Like that's going to happen. But my hope and prayer is that they would say that about us. This is a part of here to stay. I showed you this image last week, but just in case you missed it, I'll show it to you again Um, This is what we hope and pray God might do right here on our current parking lot as um, that dirt lot becomes our new parking lot this year, that in the coming years we might renovate the current parking lot into a retail space where many who are far from God can gather, 
have a great cup of coffee, experience welcome and hospitality from the people of God, a multi-purpose space that will create additional gathering opportunities for our students and our kids for many years to come, as well as, you know, life groups and a variety of other mid-sized gatherings, space for um, uh, mentoring and spiritual direction. We have future hopes for uh, a counseling center right there in that building. I mean, so much that we believe God can do and to give some of that space away to our city schools and nonprofits who need space to gather. We want to do this now that, so that generations from now, people might say, oh man, way back then, they, those people, did something. And it had an impact. It changed the way this city thought about the church and about Jesus. Um, as you know, we also, uh, our commitment actually, before we spend anything to build buildings here, um, we want to see if we can actually give more money away in these next couple of years than we've ever given before. $2.5 million outside of our walls for the next two years, each year. Because we want people all over the world to say they, those people I don't know in California, did something, and it's having an impact right here. I'll show you an image. This is a photograph I took over 10 years ago um, at 6 a.m., about 6 o'clock in the morning as the sun was rising. And this photo, I took it at the end, yes, the end, 6 a.m. end, of a worship service in a small little village of about 50 to 70 people in the middle of Haiti. No electricity, um, pitch black. Uh, I mentioned them last week, but the mom premieres, John John and Christy, who are missionary partners of ours, um, who we have partnered with in uh, the, the past many years, really, to start a university in Haiti. Um, I was visiting them over 10 years ago, and uh, 4 o'clock in the morning, they wake us up. They had not told us the night before that they were going to wake us up so early. They wake us up at 4 a.m., they shuffle us into a van, we drive about half an hour in the pitch black of night, the van door opens, and I can hear singing in the background. I can't see anything, but I can hear what sounded like a choir of thousands, and they're, they're singing in their native um, uh, Creole, Haitian Creole, but I can tell it's a song to Jesus. And we follow the voices to this small opening. You can see it in this photograph. And for an hour and a half, they sing and someone preaches and there's weeping and wailing and joy and laughter and prayer. And then it's this incredible worship service with about 50 to 70 locals who make up this village. Long story short, John John tells us later that this village, if you don't know this, in Haiti, voodoo is like a big deal in Haiti. And um, Jean-Jean tells us later that this village, the entire village, had been all caught up in voodoo. And there was brokenness and real, genuine darkness, spiritual and otherwise, in this place. And several years back, the town voodoo witch doctor, an older woman, had encountered Jesus because of the ministry of the Mom Premiers. She had said yes to Jesus, and she was freed from the darkness, and she found the light and the life 
of Christ. And long story short, she had such influence in this little town, this photo you're looking at, that over the course of the next year or so, the entire village becomes Christian. And because the sun gets so hot in Haiti, seven days a week, not just Sundays, you guys, seven days a week, the entire village wakes up at 4 a.m., and they spend two hours in the cool of the night before the sun rises worshiping Jesus. That's what we had, that's what we had driven to that morning. This is what it looks like to plant seeds. Ecclesiastes 3 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. And I, I do wonder if this is our time to plant individually in our lives, in the spheres of influence that we occupy, and collectively for our church, just like Mildred Schultz did 70 years ago. The writer of Ecclesiastes also says in chapter 11, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. It is so easy to get caught up in the immediate and to lose sight of the multi-generational story God is writing. But doing so runs a significant risk. Judges chapter 2, what does it tell us? After that whole generation, these are the Israelites who had marched through the wilderness following God into the promised land. After that whole generation had been gathered up to their ancestors, after they had passed away, another generation grew up that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, this feels like an indictment on the new generation. That, oh, how could they forget? How could they not know? But going back to Psalm 145, I do wonder if a part of this was because the previous generation did not adequately tell the story. This is our opportunity to tell the story, to plant seeds. Again, through here to stay, but also in your life. And the way you love and serve any and all who are in your sphere of influence, whether it's your family or your social circles or your workplace or your school or right here at our church, whatever it might be and whomever it might be too. Maybe it is our time to plant seeds. I'm going to invite Chris and the team to come back up. We're going to sing and respond. Before we do, I want to tell you a quick story. I think paints a beautiful picture of what is possible when we freely give it away. This is a photograph of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. Um, it's a 20th century theologian, German theologian, and... Uh, he was a brilliant theologian, and his work has had profound impact on me, on my life, over many years. Uh, my favorite class I ever took in seminary was a class on the life and work of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, I remember um, being really marked, still am very much marked by um, his story. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you're unfamiliar... Have you, have you guys seen the mediocre Tom Cruise movie, Valkyrie? Anybody? Okay, remember there was like a conspiracy to assassinate Hitler? 
Okay, Bonhoeffer was a part of that story, which doesn't feel very Christian. And in fact, if you read Bonhoeffer's story, you will realize that he himself was very conflicted about it. Bonhoeffer actually was a pacifist who came to the realization that for him to do nothing, he lived during Nazi Germany. He actually had a chance to just live in the States and teach at a seminary in New York and live a comfortable, safe life here. And he felt called by God to go back to his home nation of Germany, even though he didn't have to, because he felt that to do nothing would be to be complicit in the violence and the death and the atrocities that were unfolding because of Nazi Germany. So Bonhoeffer goes back to Germany. He's a part of a conspiracy, a failed attempt to assassinate Hitler. He is eventually arrested on a number of charges. And while in prison, he was engaged at the time to a young woman named Maria. And Bonhoeffer begins writing letters from prison awaiting execution. He writes letters to his fiancee, Maria. One of his final letters is a letter titled, Next Year, 1945. And in the letter, Bonhoeffer encourages Maria with these words. He says, whether we see each other in Christ, we have undying hope. So Bonhoeffer essentially tells his fiance, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of here alive, but whether we see each other on this side of eternity again or not, in Jesus we have undying hope. And a few months after he writes that letter, Bonhoeffer is executed. And a few years after his death, his fiance Maria publishes Dietrich's letters in a book that you can read called Letters from Prison. Now fast forward 30 years. There's a pastor named Joseph Bailey, and Pastor Joseph Bailey had experienced his own significant loss. He had lost multiple children to, like, these freak accidents. He had to bury his own kids. Now, Pastor Bailey was a gifted writer, but he stopped writing because of his grief. And one day, he happens upon Bonhoeffer's letter to Maria, next year, 1945. And in it, he finds immense hope in those words that Dietrich had written to Maria, whether we see each other, in Christ we have undying hope. Bailey is inspired by this. He's buoyed by the new sense of resolve and hope and courage he feels because he has happened upon Bonhoeffer's letter and he begins to write again. Eventually, he writes a book called Heaven. And in that book, he includes an excerpt of Bonhoeffer's letter because it had encouraged him so much. And then one day, Joseph Bailey receives a call from a pastor in Massachusetts and this pastor in Massachusetts was also the chaplain of the city hospital. And he writes Joseph Bailey a letter and says, I'm a pastor in Massachusetts. I'm also the chaplain of the hospital. I read your book, Heaven. And I gave that book to one of my patients who is terminally ill. She was following Jesus for many years, but she has spent the recent years of her life sort of coming undone and deconstructing her faith. But I gave her your book, Heaven, and she read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's words, and she has found Jesus again. She has found hope again to move on into eternity in Jesus because of your words and Bonhoeffer's words in your book. And that patient was Maria, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's fiance. You have no idea 
how the seeds you plant will cast shade for those who are in need of relief and reprieve and rest. Chances are you will never know the story the way Joseph Bailey got to know. But make no mistake, this is how God writes stories. Beneath the dirt and the soil, in places you and I cannot see, the roots are being intertwined by God, the great gardener of the cosmos, to bring healing slowly in ways we might never see. So what do we do? We water and we till the soil. We offer sunlight and we labor and we give and we wait. We plant seeds and we watch as God does the unthinkable. Let's stand, let's sing, and respond together.